you're responsible for what you invent or what you make. And being responsible for what you make makes what you're doing have consequences that are relevant to how poetry lives in the world and how we live with each other. Hello and welcome to The Right Question, a radio program and podcast featuring authors from the American West and beyond. The Right Question is supported in part by Humanities Montana and members of Montana Public Radio, and by the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. I'm Lauren Korn, speaking with poet Dara Barwa-Dixon about her most recent collection, Tolstoy Killed Anna Karenina, a book that interrogates, tenderly, honestly, the responsibility and consequences of art-making. As poet Bianca Stone says of Dara's collection, Barwa Dixon picks up the dropped and bloody sword of these past authors and slashes off the shackles of what we can assume is a married name, bringing to witness the dead women of canonical prose and all the while investigating the sprawling lyricism that is consciousness. Dara Barwa Dixon, formerly Dara Wire, is the author of Tolstoy Killed Anna Karenina, In the Still of the Night, You Good Thing, and a number of other poetry collections. She has received awards from the Lannan Foundation, the American Poetry Review, and the Poetry Center. The Guggenheim Foundation, the National Endowment for the Arts, and the Massachusetts Cultural Council have all generously supported her work. She lives and works in Factory Hollow in Western Massachusetts. Dara, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to The Right Question. It's great to be on your show, Lauren. It makes me happy. I'm so happy to have you here. Um, Before we get into the aboutness of your collection, Tolstoy Killed Anna Karenina, I wanted to ask you a few questions about poetry more generally. Um, I recently... Uh, attended an event where poets read their work and then they sat down to chat about poetry after the reading. Um, And the questions that were asked of them were so broad that it occurred to me sometimes on the show here that I get down kind of to the to the line um, when I'm talking to poets. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about much more detail. And so I actually thought it might be worthwhile to kind of you know, zoom out a little bit with you as we start this conversation, because it was so kind of nice to talk or it was nice to hear poets talk so generally about poetry. So my first question is, what is the role of poetry? And in line with that question, perhaps, but it is separate, certainly. Why do you write poetry, Dara? So could I read you a poem that I wrote recently called Poetry? I would love it. It's not It's not in the book that we're talking about, but it probably answers the question more truthfully and quicker than I, it would take me to start talk, rambling about it, you know? So it's called Poetry. Makes the bad things we say better. It makes the unforgivable things we do come close to seeming forgivable. The worst, understandable. The least worthy, somehow elevated. And that may be what poetry does. It may be why it even is. It takes what's awful and says it's tragic. It makes lies less lethal. It blows oxygen on flames. It holds on to names better left forgotten. It pretends crime is a paradox. It takes what kills and says it lives. 
There is no stopping what poetry does. So that's, that's probably a very accurate answer in terms of, right, you know, you're supposed to maybe be a little clearer in a poem than you are as you talk. But, um, you know, it, it, poetry serves so many different roles for so many different people at so many different times. And I think that that's one of the most amazing things about poetry and why it's still around is because that space, if once you put something in it, reverberates and grows and changes just because it's in that space. And that's a miracle that happens. I love that answer. One of the poets that I heard or who I heard talked about poetry being a space for meaning-making. And I'm wondering how you think about poetry and meaning-making. Does poetry have to make meaning? Does it have to have meaning? And beyond meaning-making, does the role include facilitating understanding? You know, there are so many different types of poetry and, and different ways that the poem um, or different poems work. So I'm wondering what you think about meaning and poetry. Well, I think that meaning is crucial to people's lives. If you don't have a meaningful life, that's a tragedy lots of times or a difficulty at the, at the least. And people search for meaning in so many different ways, you know. Um, to bring up politics right away, I would say I was, I was watching a lot of the January 6th attack on our Capitol. And I had some family members who knew people who went to that, who the, their family had tried to stop and they had had a huge turmoil over, a, like a private family turmoil behind the giant public thing that we saw. And after listening to them talk about it and watching a lot of footage of all of it, it, it made me feel like, oh God, one of the things this is about is people are so desperate to have something meaningful in their lives that they will resort to being the pawns of a monster. And at work, at, you know, leading them by the hand to find meaning through their desires and lives. And I think that's kind of heartbreaking and see, and poems freely and benignly offer people a place to have and find meaning, you know, and I love that about it. And I um, respect that about it and everybody's work that they're trying to do that. Also, in a no whole nother level, in a whole nother way, just the, just plain word at the word level. Every word means something. It's impossible once you put two words together for somebody's brain not to do something with it and somehow make it meaningful, you know? And so it's impossible to be without meaning, but in that, at that level. But then on the human life level, it's very easy to feel like your life is meaningless. I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Um, 
If we're going to dive into your collection, again, the title is Tolstoy Killed Anna Karenina. I'm going to just go maybe to, to form first, if that's okay with you. This current collection consists almost exclusively of couplets, save for the last two pieces that are um, there's one poem and then there's like a, a notes uh, section at the end. Um, but I think, you know, apart from those pieces, it's exclusively couplets. And I'm wondering what draws you to couplets. Um, is it solely an organizational form for you? Is there a poetic logic to the couplet that exists outside of the poem's appearance on the page? It's, I think it's all those things you mentioned, probably. You know, um, I think that I well, first of all, I've been attracted to couplets forever, and I've used the couplet form consistently throughout all my writing life. And I even made a rule at some point that I couldn't use couplets because I thought that I was too dependent on them. So I passed a little time miserably not using them, trying to sneak them in, but failing. You know, I I, I really wanted to practice doing other things. But then I came back, I come back to the couplet all the time because it it does a funny thing. It makes things look a lot more organized and settled than they necessarily are. So that within the form of the couplets, neat every two lines and some space and two lines and some space, you can you make some thought and and some thinking going on that maybe is not so settled. And that that's like a way of saying to a reader, it's okay, it's 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 gonna be okay. <laughs> I think that yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, especially about you know, with what you were just saying about meaning making. So not only is a poem's um intention or the the poet's intention to make meaning, but they're also trying to resist kind of the chaos that is inevitable in our lives, right? And inevitably going to show up in a poem. Um, so there's, yeah, there's meaning and then there's organization. Yep, that's all true. Yeah. So if we're talking thematically about your collection, um, I want to start with the phrase Tolstoy killed Anna Karenina. When did that phrase come to you, Dara? And why set your focus on specifically this author, this character? This, the simple part is I had a different title on the manuscript for months and I didn't like it and I knew it was terribly boring. So I couldn't feel like I had done my work until... I found a good title for the book. Um, and I was talking to uh, another poet one day, um, a wonderful poet who lives around here now, here being North Amherst. They live around here, and uh, their name is C.A. Conrad, and you may have met them or heard them read. And we were talking about other things, not about book titles. And we, we, we were talking about responsibility that authors have to creatures and characters that they invent. And I said, well, Tolstoy killed Anna Karenina. And as soon as I said it, I thought, that's the perfect title for this book. So it solved a problem. And then it became a problem because 
I had to think about and look at if it made sense for to keep that title on that book. And it seemed like it really did. It seemed like it was about taking responsibility in all kinds of ways, you know, and I, I've, I've listened to writers all my life talk about, you know, oh, I, this story just had a mind of its own and it wrote itself. And I think that's a great romantic, beautiful thing to be able to say about writing. I also think it's an excuse to not be responsible for what you write. And I think being responsible for what you write is really a big deal. You know, so, um, I, and I, you know, I remember reading Madame Bovary and I remember, I remember loving it, you know, when I first, and, and I really liked Anna Karenina when I first read it too, but I have since read them both over again and, and, and have thought, well, you know, I think the author's getting away with something here that I don't, I don't really like. Because I don't think all women are supposed to be, have to pay the price that they all seem to think they're supposed to pay for living a little bit less than men live or a little bit less than conventionally, so-called conventionally appropriate for their times, you know? So, and my, can just say one more thing, my love of Mary Shelley and Frankenstein book, that book, that book is all about taking responsibility for your creatures who you invent. And it's a, it's an analogy for a God who is responsible for inventing humans. And it's like, it's got so many good, good applications. You know, it's, it's about parents taking care of children. It's about, it's about so many different things. And um, so I, I settled on the title and decided it was good to keep it. You you just spoke about Frankenstein and Mary Shelley, and it's one of the epigraphs to this collection. Um, there are three of them, but one of them is, um, Remember that I am thy creature. I ought to be thy Adam, but I am rather the fallen angel whom thou drivest from joy for no misdeed. Um, and at the back of this collection, you've included um, notes and evidence. Um, I alluded to it earlier, in which you write that you've always taken these lines from Shelley to heart. What did you mean by that? That you're responsible for what you invent or what you make. And being responsible for what you make makes what you're doing have consequences that are relevant to how poetry lives in the world and how we live with each other. So I love that about having to have some some way to to be held as held responsible for what I am trying to do. You're listening to a conversation with poet Dara Barwa Dixon. I'm Lauren Korn. This episode of The Right Question is supported by Elk River Books in Livingston, Montana, offering new, used, and rare books and frequent author readings in their lineup of events offered each season. A full calendar of events and online shopping can be found at elkriverbooks.com. 
I want to talk about the ways in which you are in the, the ways in which you hold yourself responsible to your own poetry. But I want to first quote a few lines from an essay that you published in Action Spectacle that speaks towards these ideas. And you kind of get down to the nitty gritty in this essay. I feel like this essay and this book, they they, they live together very, very well. Um, but in this essay, you write, Anna may be a character, Anna may be Tolstoy's creature. What she is not is a living human being with her own free will. And I thought that was really interesting, this idea that a character, even a fictional character, lives outside of the fiction that they're created within, but that fictional characters that are written, you know, Anna Karenina as a character, does not have her own free will. I'm going to just keep quoting you to yourself, Dara, because it's I just loved this essay and I loved this collection of poetry. Um, you also write in this essay, when did it get to be required to address writers as if they are not responsible for what their characters do? Or when did it become typical to hear a writer talking about a character having a mind of their own or a plot having a will to take one set of steps rather than another? And about that still, you write, it's not out of the ordinary to hear a writer praise themselves by saying their story, their character took on a life of its own. Whatever happens, happens because I made characters so vivid, so alive, they wound up with minds of their own. I, I Again, I really, really enjoyed reading that essay alongside this book of poetry. Um, I guess... I guess what I'm curious about then is how that ethics, and I'll call it an ethics, this responsibility towards your writing um, and the characters that you create and these objects that you put into your your poetry, how it guided the writing of this book. It feels a little meta to ask you this because I feel so much like Tolstoy killed Anna Karenina is in Ars Poetica at large. Um, but I'm wondering then how you how you thought about those ideas as you were drafting some of the poems that don't speak specifically to that idea. Well, I hope that there, sometimes the, the connections are indirect, but that's the nature of poetry lots of times, I think. You know, I'm not very good at being obedient to necessity of some kind that might have to do with, say, possibly an editor might say, oh, you need to write a poem that is all about Tolstoy killing Anna Karenina. And I would have probably, it would have seemed like I could do that. I could do a, a poem that came at it indirectly, or I could do the notes and evidence that apply to the condition of that in some ways, but I would be, it'd be hard on, hard for me. In fact, it has been hard for me many times to try to write and to fulfill an assignment. I, I don't know what it does. I, I don't mean to, I don't mean to not cooperate, but I can't. So I, so I go through a terrible period of feeling like I can't write. <laughs> oh no, this is the worst writing I've ever done in my life. You know, kind of thing. So I've kind of learned to probably not beat my, myself up too much about that part. But I, I, I'll, you know, like the, like the book, poem called Credits. There's the poem called Credits where I talk about what many, many different writers gave to me and give people credit where credit is due for 
opening my eyes to something that maybe they hadn't be as open as I wanted them to be or open differently, let's say. And um, I knew that I was going to look back at that poem and want to write another poem. And I probably will uh, with people I left out brought into that list. It's a list, you know, in a way, a list with commentary, you know, and um, I think that I, it, it felt really good to say the names of people who have really been meaningful to me in making spaces and places and play like all kinds of showing me opportunities and showing possi possibilities. Yeah, I, I love that that's actually a part of that ethics, um, you know, giving credit where credit is due. I think that makes that makes sense to me. Um, you know, it's it's pretty fascinating to hear you talk about the way that this book's title came to be, really, because the idea, you know, Tolstoy killing Anna Karenina and more broadly, this idea of writers taking responsibility and claiming agency over characters who have none, it really does infiltrate the book in, in a really wonderful way. So I can only imagine the joy you felt upon finding that title eventually, because I think it's so striking, but it is also so fitting to so many of the themes in the book. Well, I like that a lot that you use the word infiltrate <laughs> to, you know, that throughout the book, because I, I do really think that it's the kind of title that can change a whole fo focus of in a book. And I love titles that can do that. You know, you spoke to the titular poem because often a book of poetry is named after a poem in the collection. You just told me and our listeners that this poem came after um, the title. It, you know, it came at the end, you know, and I thought that it was really interesting that that was the title poem um, just because the agency and the free will is less explicit. I'm not saying that it that it doesn't exist in that poem at all, because it does, but it's less explicit than it is in other poems in this collection. Um, but I'm hoping maybe let's give let's give readers. I'd I'd love it if you read that particular poem for readers. Tolstoy killed Anna Karenina. A certain someone knows something. Certain people keep to themselves. Certain enough to say, it's all mine. It's not yours. It belongs to me. Maybe it's no one's. A wallet says, I have money that's not yours. Or a house says, I have a place to sleep at night. Or a coat says, there's a body to keep warm. There's a certain time a certain plant, a certain someone, a certain secret, a certain drug, certain terrible ways to end, a certain something takes place out of sight. It's important for you to picture it in all its certain horror, unstoppable water, avaricious fire, someone throwing themselves under the wheels of a train. And what next? If I say I know a certain place, I can claim a higher ground because you don't know where and I wonder why, if not to say I have something you wish you had, a certain way I have to cause you to want something 
There's no way of knowing what having it will do with you. That's the kind of the dark side of a little bit of, it's a little bit more of the dark side of the things we've been talking about. How so? How do you, will you, will you elaborate on that idea of the dark side and how this poem specifically speaks to the themes of agency, free will, and creation? Yeah, well, so some people have money and some people don't. Some people have a place to live and some people don't. You know, some people have all of the things they need to stay warm and healthy and well-fed, and some people don't or struggle so much to have it, it's almost impossible to get it. So it's a poem that's, that's speaking about those things, but, but trying not to speak about them in a mushy way. You know, so I left the wallet take the blame, and I let the house take the blame, and I let the coat take the blame, instead of a particular person in particular circumstances, you know? Yeah, that's an interesting way to think about it. That's, that is. For whatever reason, I was really drawn to the line, I claim a higher ground. The I is not me in the poem. So the I is somebody who is a little bit playing with the idea of I can do all these things. I have agency. I can claim the higher ground. I do have a wallet. I do have a house. They're claiming to, to have things and, and putting, you know, you can say somebody lays claim to something. So I, I think the poem is a, a little bit of a complicated poem. It's a, it's got a, it sort of presents a problem. I do want to go back to this notes and evidence section that you have. In that section, you write, Concerning the woman Tolstoy named Anna Karenina and what made her maker make for obliteration, as fate and words pretend she kills herself, rather than be her maker's victim, I'm thinking about what it means when someone calls something a tragedy when in fact it amounts to a crime. And again, I'm going to pull your essay back into this conversation from Action Spectacle, you write, this satisfies the necessity of premeditation, what apologists for writers call foreshadowing. You say, again in that essay, there's plenty of evidence a prosecutor could use against Tolstoy throughout Anna Karenina. I am so fascinated by the idea that writing characters in this way, the way that Tolstoy has, that other fiction writers have, might be seen as a criminal act. And thinking about this makes me wonder kind of in a rabbit hole kind of way, to be honest. Like it kind of tangles my brain in a really satisfying but frustrating way um, about the ethics of writing fictional violence. Does the author owe life or health or, you know, nonviolence to her characters? How do you think about writing characters in this way? Because that's that's the ethics or that's the part of these this thesis or this theme that really had me... Um, yeah, struggling to kind of grasp my own sense of it. Well, I think that that's that's the, probably the greatest compliment you can pay me is that it gives you something to question. I, I think it would be a little hard for me to absolutely prove. I mean, one of the reasons I called it notes and evidence was to try to, you know, help myself a little bit, you know, and um, I. And I was trying to bring in the idea of the law, 
you know, of bringing in evidence and stuff. And I'm so happy that you liked that, thinking about that essay along with this book. That was poet Dara Barwa Dixon, author of the collection Tolstoy Killed Anna Karenina, out now from Wave Poetry. Look for more information about Dara at mtpr.org, where you can also subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You've been listening to The Right Question. This episode was produced by Jake Birch and me. I'm your host, Lauren Korn. Chris Moyles engineered this episode. The artwork for The Right Question was designed by Molly Russell, and our music was written and recorded by John Floridas. Funding for The Right Question is provided in part by the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. Many thanks to Humanities Montana for supporting this program since 2008, and thank you for listening. The Right Question is a production of Montana Public Radio.